Welcome to A Brief Chat. I'm Jason Crane. Thanks so much for listening. If you want to support the show you're listening to, you can do that quite simply for as little as a dollar a month at patreon.com slash a brief chat. For a buck a month, you get early access to every episode, plus photos and essays and so on from my travels on the road. And for $5 a month, you get all that, plus you get an extra bonus episode each month. Earlier this year, I read a book that I really loved that I had learned about the previous year when I was living in uh, Vermont's Northeast Kingdom from an article in the Alternative Weekly that covers the whole state. And uh, I immediately bought a copy of the book. And then for some reason, it took me a year to get around to it. Uh, But when I did, I just really fell in love with it. And since I knew I was going to be in this area, I asked its author, who lives uh, up here in northern Vermont, if he'd sit down with me. And he said yes. And that is Clint Carrick, who joins me now, who's the author of Small Town Skate Parks. Clint, welcome to the show. Hi. Thanks, Jason. Uh, Happy to talk to you. So this book uh, really grabbed my imagination, both because of its subject matter, but also, um, as you quickly learned, maybe to your dismay, because you mentioned The Lord of the Rings a lot inside it. And so you caused me to read The Lord of the Rings again right after I read your book. And then I was like texting you Lord of the Rings memes and stuff. So I apologize for that. But will you give kind of the elevator pitch of your book for sure? So I grew up skateboarding in Stowe, Vermont. And the skate park was kind of the hangout for my friends and I. And it was very central to my childhood and adolescence. And I stopped skateboarding when I left high, you know, high school in my hometown and stopped skateboarding for, you know, eight years or so. And I restarted skateboarding and it triggered many memories and, um, reflecting on growing up and whatnot. And I thought to myself that this was, there was a lot going on and a lot of interesting things. Um, and I, when I restarted skateboarding, I started visiting skate parks again and, thinking about what was special about them and that what was special about that space um, and what was unique about skate parks in small towns specifically. And I also happened to be thinking about writing a book of some kind. So I said, why not this one? <laughs> so I, um, the book is part memoir about growing up skateboarding. It's also part um, essay about relearning skateboarding. And it's also part travelogue because I also um, travel across the country and visit skate parks in small towns across the country and in places like Missouri and uh, Arizona and whatnot. So probably most of the people who will listen to this episode will never have been to Stowe, uh, Vermont. Mm-hmm. Can you can you give them a one or two sentence description of what kind of town this is? Sure. It's it's a ski town first of all, and uh, six months of the year there's the town's flooded with tourists, um, which can be frustrating. But then the other six months, it's very quiet and, and, and boring. And I think a lot of people say, oh, well, Stowe is very different. Da, 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 da. But there are, you know, lots of normal, normal people that live here who work in restaurants and bars and who are carpenters and whatnot. So, um, it's more normal than you think. And, uh, I think my experience at the skate park here is very similar to, uh, many, many Americans who are my age across the country. And what was the skate park like here? What? Describe it for me. It was very janky. It was very <laughs> sketchy, very sketchy and dangerous. Um, it was basically built by some like local dads and stuff. The town wanted nothing to do with it. And the town basically um, gave us a corner of a parking lot at the ice rink. Okay. And there were some like wooden ramps and stuff. And they quickly became splintered and rusty. Uh, you know, I had friends who like stepped on rusty nails and had to go to the hospital to get tetanus shots. Uh, so it was, it was, um, it wasn't like a fancy great skate park, but it was our special hangout. 
And, uh, we always, you know, in the summer growing up, we'd be like, all right, bike down to the skate park and spend the entire afternoon there. So folks who's maybe whose only time seeing skateboarding is like on TV, on the X games, on ESPN or something, they need to really dial down their vision of the kind of skate parks we're talking about that yeah. you see in your book. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. And skate parks nowadays are, I would say generally fancier than they used to be. Back in like the late nineties, early two thousands, it was, I think a lot of them were just kind of DIY community set up situations. What caused you to start skateboarding again? <clears throat> uh, in the book, I call it like kind of a quarter life crisis, identity crisis. Um, just wondering what am I going to be doing with my life, you know, friends moving away and stuff. But mm, I don't know. I think it was just, um, I was bored and looking for some exercise and trying to get outside. And I always considered myself a skateboarder, even though I stopped skateboarding, which is kind of funny, which I think is common also. So I said, well, why not? You know, there's a bit of an intimidation factor of like going down to the skate park once again, even though you, you suck at it. So once I started up again, I was like, all right, this is, this feels right. I should be doing this. And uh, it was as fun as it used to be. Do you, what's the reason you think that you still considered yourself a skateboarder, even when eight years went by that you weren't on a skateboard? I think it has to do with skateboarding and how skateboarding, you know, perhaps unlike other sports, really, um, you know, people who do it identify with it. And there's this very strong subculture of the clothes you're supposed to wear, the movies you watch, the music you listen to, um, how you act, and a certain sort of alternative to the mainstream attitude, which might not be totally accurate because, you know, listening to Blink-182 and wearing jeans and skate shoes <laughs> isn't that punk rock or, or alternative, but... Uh, it's kind of like you're, you know, you're, that's how people identify at least. And in the book, I talk about how skateboard people who skateboard for a little bit of time will always wear skate, skate shoes for the rest of their lives. Cause like skate shoes are cool and only cool skateboard people wear them. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's interesting because, um, I have, well, I've spent the last two years driving around the United States, but I have traveled around the United States for many years. And my, the younger of my two sons, uh, is a BMX kid. And, um, that was my first, I didn't grow up skateboarding or BMX. I was like an indoor nerd. Uh, so when he got into really into BMX, that was kind of my first entry into that subculture. And then because you, most towns, everybody has to share the skate park that exists. So, you know, we started meeting skaters as well as BMX riders. And now I've noticed that no matter where I go, no matter how small the town, I I'll see a group of kids in every town who are clearly part of that subculture, even if they don't have their BMX bikes with them, you can tell, or if they're not carrying skateboards, you can tell. And it really, I, I've noticed how much more of a culture there is surrounding it than as you suggested with many other activities that kids do. Like it, like you, I think you could be like a high school football player or a baseball player or whatever, without it necessarily becoming a visible part of your entire identity. Whereas skating seems to really, it brings a lot of other things with it, at least in my experience. Yeah, it can. And it doesn't have to. Um, but I think people like that side of it. And, you know, they watch the skate video. Like when I was growing up, for example, we'd watch the skate movies and see these pros. And we're like, all right, that's how we're going to act. And then we acted like we were the pros. Um, and now it's all about Instagram and social media. And, and the kids want to be like the pros. Um so, yeah, I do think there is a, a sort of subculture attached to it that 
other sports don't necessarily have. And that, you know, has to do with all the other differences skateboarding has. Like, uh, you know, it's about creativity and it's about individualism. It's not a team sport, uh, things like that. But also it's the only sport I can think of that most of the people in the town don't like and wish wasn't happening in their town. <laughs> that's also so, true. Yeah, yeah, it's not like baseball or football in that way at all. Yeah, that's definitely in, in the at the heart of it too is that it's noisy. Oftentimes when the skater's out front of your store or something and they're hitting the, the stair set, the person's going to automatically be like, ugh, I wish they weren't here. And you as a skater have to be like, we're going to do this regardless of what people think and if we're pissing them off or not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so there is this kind of like, you know – um, sort of rebellious thing at the heart of it. So, um, how did you, let's, I want to kind of turn to your travels across the country. Um, how, how did you do it? What did you do it in? Talk about that. Yep. Um, so it's good talking to you about this because you're, you know, van life traveling also. Yeah. But I, uh, I was just in a crappy little sob that I owned at the time and I camped out, uh, when I could which is most of the time. And then if I wanted to, every few nights, I'd get a motel. But I wanted to go – I wanted to not travel on the main highways. I wanted to – because the focus also was to see small towns. Because I, in my mind, there was this big distinction of like a quiet little skate park with two people at it, like kind of passing away a boring evening or afternoon versus like a really busy city skate park, which I go to sometimes also. And for me, there was an essence to the smaller town skate park. So I wanted to visit small towns. So I was traveling not on main highways, on, on secondary roads, and uh, finding little campgrounds and whatnot. And it took me, I think, about five weeks to go from Vermont to Los Angeles. When you would show up at a skate park, was it uh, – did you feel like an immediate insider? Did you feel like an immediate outsider? What was the vibe like when there are two other people at the skate park who skate there all the time together yeah. and then you show up? Um, like an insider. And I talk about this in the book about how no matter where you are, if you're if you're a skateboarder and you go to the skate park, you kind of feel like you're at home. You know the language to use. Like, oh, you know, you know the um, etiquette. For example, if someone lands a trick, you kind of tap your board in the ground. Stuff like that. Um, at first – I wanted to interview people kind of like you do with the microphone and audio recording and whatnot. And that made me feel like an outsider because I was, now I'm the journalist interviewing people. Uh, and then I kind of, after, uh, after a few experiences doing that, I decided to stop doing that. And I just left all my equipment in the car and just, I'm not going to introduce myself. I'm not going to tell anyone what I'm doing. I'm just going to show up and see how I feel. And when I started doing that, I really uh, instantly felt just like everyone else. And it was funny how I would have very casual, pleasant chats with some people. But when some people were extroverted, they would ask me a hundred questions and, you know, we have a great time and get to know each other. Yeah. Especially as you got out West, I felt like that. And maybe part of that was you were already very, you know, by that time you had had the experience of visiting a bunch of these small town skate parks and kind of figuring out like, okay, Here's how this goes best. But by the time you were out in the West, it really felt like you were making some, some real connections, like, you know, kind of multi-day adventures with people and, and that kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I definitely did. And also one of the big examples of that in the book is, was the one kind of quasi friend of a friend connection I had, which was in El Paso. So I met a group of uh, guys who worked at the skate shop there and they, you know, were very welcoming and great hosts for a few days in El Paso. So, uh, yeah, but as I went further west, you're right. I was able to kind of loosen up and hang out and just 
meet people and make you know better connections. So you've now been in more small town skate parks than the average person probably gets to. <laughs> is there anything? Is there any kind of unifying thing about that experience? About what they're like? About how they're created that you've discovered as you've seen them? <clears throat> yes, I should have a very good answer to this after writing this book. <laughs> but <laughs> I mean. Yes, the the answer to all of these questions could be well, folks, you should read the book, which I do encourage people to do. <laughs> um, I I think the small town skate park is a space where certain individuals of the t community feel very uh, at ease and um, like a, I don't want to say clubhouse because that that gives a sense of exclusivity, but a certain sense of propriety, propriety and comfort uh, that maybe. Mm, they don't feel somewhere else or more so that it's a place where they get to do the thing they love and uh, which is skateboarding and it's kind of like a gym where people go to exercise you know because you can go and skate and you'll get a good workout in and then then you'll just sit around for half an hour and chit chat but uh it's mellow the vibes will probably be mellow uh relaxed um and uh just like Hanging out with other skateboarders, regardless of how well you know them, is you know is going to be a positive experience. It's very rare that like you're skating at the park and like you start getting into an argument with someone and like a fight breaks out. That's never happened to me. I'm sure it happens to other people, but it's a very positive environment. One thing I like about how you talk about skating in the book is that you're very honest about where you are, kind of as a skater at the level you're at as a skater throughout the book because when you start out as you said you it had been like eight years and you'd only recently started skating again and so you're kind of building your chops back up during this whole trip so by the time like as we get toward the end of the book you're doing harder things and taking more risks and that was it was kind of a fascinating progression even just as a skater but i also appreciated it because it wasn't like yeah i'm a i'm this super pro skater who's traveling around small town skate parks wowing everybody it was like okay i'm just gonna work on this simple trick in this park with these yeah. other people also working on simple that, tricks that would have been annoying i feel like yeah <laughs> i did this awesome <laughs> trick no I, and spoiler alert the first chapter is about me wiping out on a very easy maneuver so but i wanted to give the readers the sense of progression which is one of the best parts of skateboarding like oh, i can't do this trick it's so hard and then you tr start trying it and kind of the sort of um, obsessive compulsive disorder like thoughts and of obsessions when you're working on it and skaters really just kind of go into their own head so I wanted to try and articulate that sort of um, thought process when you're engaging with the trick and then the satisfaction of landing it and uh, also the memories of doing certain tricks so you can talk to I mean you know pro skaters I watch videos and they're like oh yeah back in 2004 I was uh, working on this trick somewhere, da 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 da, da. I, and they have very um, clear memories of doing it. So I kind of wanted to do that. And the irony is like it's me doing a kickflip on, <laughs> on on like a little feature, and and but relative to me, it's just as cool and just as important and significant. Uh, but also, in addition to the, like getting into your own headpiece, there was a bit that um, that I I really liked th about meeting other skaters. That if that person was working on a trick and you were working on a trick, there was kind of a, this like mutual encouragement. Like, okay, you right. keep working on your trick and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to click my board on the ground if you make it and you're going to do the same for me, which seemed really cool. Yeah. That's total, totally skate culture. And that's not, you know, unique to, to my experience. That's skaters everywhere like that. 
And when you go to a park, you don't know anyone, but you see someone falling over and over again trying to do something, and then they land it. You can't help but feel excited for them. And even watching pros in tournaments, it's there's no animosity or like trash talk. It's all even against the top competitors. They'll high five each other after landing a good trick. You, uh, as I mentioned in the intro, you. Uh in addition to memoir and in addition to a story about your trips to these small town skate parks, um, one of the things in this book that really struck me was that you were reading the Lord of the Rings while you were traveling. And the Lord of the Rings is essentially an epic quest narrative. And you Mm -hmm. were also on an epic quest. And that might seem like, uh, I don't know. It might seem like it's obvious that you would relate these two quest things together, but, but the Lord of the Rings is such a different, like it's basically an epic quest through, you know, forests and mountains, uh, to do this huge thing at the end. Mm-hmm. Whereas yours was kind of a, a series of smaller things. Um, but that seemed epic when strung together, like it getting to see America that way is a, is pretty incredible when you do it. Um, mm-hmm. so yeah, I was, I was kind of curious about, even just about your decision to include the like the Tolkien stuff right. in it, and and just talk to me about that a little. Bit. Yeah, well, no one's asked that question yet, and I, I feel like someone was going to eventually. So, congratulations, <laughs> thanks. But for me, it comes down to also like I don't think I had necessarily a plan, but I always I've I've, re, I've read it three or four times the trilogy, and it was kind of like all right, it's been a few years. I was ready to reread it. And it just so happened, I, w- I was kind of saving the rereading for a time when I was like, could could read the whole thing in uh, one go. And on this trip, I was going to have a lot of downtime, so it worked out that way. But also, yes, there was something in my mind of, okay, this is a good correlation to what I'm doing, a quest, an epic quest. And I think, um, I think I wanted to be inspired and, uh, you know, have a sort of epic attitude like I was doing a great quest that I needed to um, take seriously and um, be inspired to do and also but then there's the other element of like kind of like when I was a kid and I was sick and stay home from school I would watch Lord of the Rings or Star Wars and so it's kind of there's this other element of like comfort um, and familiarity which I wanted to have when I was traveling there's uh because I'm I never have any plan for these interviews mm-hmm. and I'm just making the questions up as they occur to me. Uh, sometimes they don't come out right. So I'm going to try to ask this next one sensitively. Okay. Uh and I, if it comes out poorly, maybe no one will ever hear that I ask this. But um in a small town, I also grew up in a small town, okay. and in a small town a common thing is the person who had their peak experiences in high school and is just hanging around and like trying to recreate right. them. So like the 40-year-old dude who goes to homecoming and is talking right. to cheerleaders. Or right. And Matthew McConaughey. In, exactly. In, uh... <laughs> exactly. That's exactly it. Um, and in, in, this, uh, in this story, you've reconnected with a thing that you did when you were a kid. Um, but it doesn't feel like that at all. It doesn't feel like recapturing past glory. It feels like I'm going to reconnect with this thing I loved, but I'm still – I'm now an adult and I'm, I'm reconnecting with it as that person. So I guess I just wanted to ask you, ask you about that, about if that resonates with you at all. Mm-hmm. No, for sure. And I think I, part of the book was dealing with that of being like, Oh, skateboarding's for kids. And then I was like, Oh wait, no adults do it too. And I was definitely grap- um, grappling with that question. 
of, you know, should adults be skateboarders or am I just, you know, living the past? And the answer I found, you know, very definitively on the trip is that, no, it's, you know, adults should skateboard if it makes them happy and adults can skateboard. And, uh, it's not something you have to, you know, that you have to associate with being a kid and, and, um, you know, being nostalgic. So that's an interesting point. And I think, um, you know, in the f- first chapter I talk about, oh, this is a book about nostalgia. Da, 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 da. And I think at the end, one of the big arcs is it's not about nostalgia. It's about moving forward and being hopefully a 40 year old skateboarder, uh, you know, having a great time and great exercise, trying to learn kickflips and whatnot with a good group of friends. And on my trip, I met a lot of people like me who were, had grown up doing it and stopped. And now we're once again going to the skate park and um, they all were having, you know, similar experience of rediscovering something that they loved and had stopped doing. Far from just discovering that, yes, adults can skateboard. I mean, partway through the book, you become kind of an evangelist for this concept. Like you must not stop skateboarding. Right. You, you're, you tell somebody in a conversation. Yeah. I mean, like, right. Exactly. No, exactly. Because it's kind of like when someone loves something and they give it up. If you don't fill it with something else, you're going to feel lost and empty. Uh, so you should continue doing it. And maybe you should just not go as hard or, uh, you know, do it in a way that's going to injure yourself constantly, which is <laughs> somewhat difficult with skateboarding. But, uh, I remember, yeah, in that one scene, I, I talk about how someone had said that to me. You must not, you must not stop skateboarding. And then I, uh, you know, I love that line. So I, you know, told several people on my trip the same thing. And you encountered so many people, uh, well, I don't want to say so many. You encountered people in the book who had not yet resumed skateboarding, right. but who would hear what you were doing and immediately they would just say like, oh man, I wish I hadn't stopped or whatever. And then right. it's this, there's this real sense of loss. And it's not just, it's not just the loss of innocence or childhood or something, but a loss of a thing that's fun and they could still be doing. Like there's no, there, there was never any reason for them to have given up this thing they enjoyed other than there was some societal expectation that after a certain age, you would give it up. Yeah. <clears throat> it's true. However, there was a trend I saw in that like skateboarding it wasn't just about like deciding to stop. There was also this thing of being younger in high school and you're having a set of friends and, uh, you know, your lifestyle was very, um, conducive to skateboarding. And then when you get up, when you grow up, you get a job, uh, you don't have as much time. You move away. Your friend group disintegrates. So a lot of it was just the natural changes in your life and skateboarding kind of goes up to the wayside. And I definitely experience that nowadays with my friends that skateboard. I'm like, let's go skate today after work. And they're like, oh, I'm too tired. Da, 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 da. Oh, it's like, I've got kids. Can I schedule it in on Saturday morning? Stuff like that. But I think. It's the change is making a conscious decision to like do that. Like adults, you know, have a men's soccer team or hockey team or something. And they, well, my game is always Thursday at eight. In my life now, I'm kind of doing the same thing. I'll like, all right, Wednesday afternoon after work, I'm going to go skateboard. You kind of have to like pencil it in to, uh, into your lifestyle. Let's, uh, we're kind of drawing toward the, toward the close here, but I want to talk about the actual craft of putting the book together because as you mentioned, mm-hmm. there are a bunch of threads that needed to be woven through. There's the, the memoir piece. There's the travel narrative. There's kind of the meta conversation about skateboarding. Uh, can you talk about how you took all of those pieces and assembled them into a book? Sure. So, um, 
my one of my big inspirations for the uh, for writing around this time was Carl Uwe Knausgaard. I don't know if you're familiar with him. I am not. He's a Norwegian writer, and his he wrote a book, like a six volume epic, loosely structured in the same way as Marcel Proust. Okay. And a lot of people were like, "Oh, I'll give it a try," and then they get sucked into it, which is which is what my experience was. And it's a very, um, you know, very. Uh, it's hard to describe, but the writing style is he describes very boring everyday things and you can't stop reading and and he basically tells you every single detail of his life so far uh and it's like fascinating so i was trying to do that and then i realized that you know i wasn't doing a good job and it was just boring so i i kind of wanted to um i needed an actual subject and then the skateboarding trip became the thing so in the book the travel log is in that style in the present tense and then all the memoir stuff uh, is in the past tense because I thought, oh, this would be cool if there's kind of a Proustian experience of intertwining the present tense, subjective experiencing of things with the more contemplative past tense, you know, oh, 20 years ago, da 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 and more of a poetic essay style. So that was the effect I was going for. And I, I wrote, it, it just worked out because I wrote each memoir piece as an individual essay. Uh, you know, and spend a lot of time trying to make the sentences pretty and everything. And then these present tense scenes, I just kind of like drank a bunch of coffee and exploded <laughs> and wrote 20 pages at once, kind of. And just like, all right, here's what happened when I went to New Mexico. <laughs> and uh, then I was like, I was kind of toying around with how to put it all together. And then I eventually I came with, I came up with this format of interspersing the present tense and the past tense to give a kind of, you know, you thinking back on your memories while engaging with these other things in the present. So finally, I'm curious, uh, in the, uh, I guess, couple decades since you were regularly uh, at the skate park in Stowe, is there any better skate park now? Is it still the janky <laughs> thing that existed in the ice rink parking lot? Or? Stowe has no skate park whatsoever at the moment. None at all. Zero, which is a shame. And there's a couple uh, individuals in town who are like fighting to get it. Um, so kudos to them. But, you know, honestly, I'm like, Stowe is a bit of a special town where it's, you know, the, the, the focus is not on like, um, providing the best of everything for the alternative skateboard kids. <laughs> you know, it's more like, all right, how do we make this pretty town for tourists? Yeah. So there's skate parks in neighboring towns and those, that's where I go to skate. Uh, and there's some really fun ones. Um, you also seem to have a friend or two with maybe a small half pipe in there behind their house or something like that. I've seen uh, I've seen some videos. Oh of, yeah, uh, no, I think that's the Waterbury Park. Oh, is it? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I used to have a friend with a ramp, but Okay. I don't have access to that anymore. <laughs> uh any plans to write another book about another topic? Anything e brewing e around in your head? Yeah, I've I've actually finished uh finished another book. It's a novel. And I'm sending that out to agents now, which is exciting. This one I'm kind of going for more of a commercial mainstream route, which is like get an agent. Agent helps you get a publisher. And uh, my last, the last, the skateboard book, I just contacted indie art house publishers directly. Um, and my publisher in the UK, Head Press, um, it was a great experience working with them. But I'm trying something different, you know, something more, more, uh, I don't know, more commercial, I guess. And the next novel is a dystopian novel set in a gulag. Oh, wow. So a slight left turn. Yes. <laughs> from from the first book. I had a weird rabbit hole fascination with gulags. So 
Well, I can't wait to see it. My uh, guest is the author of the book Small Town Skate Parks, which I highly encourage you to read. Uh, or if you have uh, someone in your life who's into skating, it's a, it would be an awesome gift for them too. Uh, Clint Carrick, it's been such a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks for making the time. Thank you very much.